0: Well, today we're picking up our series, Who Do You Think You Are? And um, we, last week, talked about how God wants to bring dead things back to life. That is, the starting point of talking about your identity is making sure that you are alive in Christ. If you aren't alive in Christ, we can't really talk about identity because that's the, that's the starting point. That's the beginning of it. And today, I want to actually focus in on something that might be a little bit more of a teaching uh, opportunity than a preaching opportunity. Don't don't worry, I, I think it will be just as boring as normal. But um, <clears throat> I wanted to talk today about kind of what I feel like is a second step to talking about your identity. Yes, there's a first step, crossing over the line of faith, becoming alive in Christ. But then there's a second step, which is uh, baptism. And so I wanted to spend today talking about baptism. In our two and a half years uh, as a church, I haven't spent a lot of time Teaching on or talking about baptism. We've done baptisms. We've explained what they are. We've had invited people to to get baptized. And in most of those cases, I would sit down with a person who's interested and go through a Bible study with them, help them understand exactly what it meant and what they were doing, and then explain it to the church when we did it. But I feel like um, we're in a time where we could really use some celebration. And so I want to just kind of circle back and talk about what baptism is. Means to our church where we are on it, and hopefully encourage some of you who haven't been baptized to take that step and be obedient to Jesus in baptism. So, uh, I ask that you keep an open mind. I may actually offend you. It's possible that your tradition doesn't hold the same beliefs as we hold as a Baptist church, but I want to explain to you from God's word where our beliefs come from, and then I want to challenge you to think about it differently than maybe you have in your past. And so, Um, Yes, we're going to talk about baptism today, and I I think it is fair to say that uh, most people would understand it as a a, a symbol, uh, a symbol of something uh, that happens in the moment, right? When you are baptized, there's a symbol of going under the water, being made dead to your old ways, coming out of the water, being alive in Christ. And in Scripture, you're going to find, if you go and look up where the baptisms are happening, Most of those baptisms, the New Testament ones at least, are always people who get saved and then are baptized, bang, bang, right together, almost the same day, most of the time. Uh, You'll find in Acts chapter 2, Peter goes out to the crowd and he begins to preach. And he makes a persuasive case for Jesus. 3,000 people accept Christ right there on the spot. They're Jews that are from all over the place that are in town for a festival, right? Uh, And he explains the gospel as simply as possible. People respond to the gospel and they say to him, Peter, what should we do with the information that you just shared with us? And he says, you should believe and be baptized, right? So he puts those two things together, that you should accept Jesus and then be baptized right at the same time, bang, bang. All of the baptisms we see in the New Testament are believers. All of them, almost all of them are immediately, they happen right away, within a very short time of when someone becomes a believer, and I think there are two extremes when you start to talk about baptism. There's the extreme of people who would say baptism is necessary for salvation, which is not biblical and is not a true thing. And then there would be the extreme of people who say it's completely symbolic, and it really has, they, they almost devalue a little bit the, the, uh, the act of baptism. And I would say, in my experience, there's a lot of people in that, that second cate- camp, that second category, well, you know, baptism is like something that people do and maybe I'll get around to it if the moment is right, if we're in a lake, if it's a special time I'm on a missions trip at a special location. Maybe if my, my, uh, my wife or my husband or my kids are ready to be baptized, maybe we'll all get baptized together. But they don't necessarily see that there's something going on in baptism that really causes us to not want to wait, not want to wait for this. I think the one end would say, this is necessary for salvation. The other end would say, this is not really honestly that important. And neither of those ends of the spectrum are right. We find baptism somewhere in the middle of that. But yes, it is a symbolic act. I'll get to more of this in a second to explain kind of where we come from. But also something is happening. But yes, there's a symbolic act, but, but there's also something happening. And for those of us who haven't chosen to be baptized, we're missing out on that second part. That's something that is happening in that moment of baptism. And Probably the best way that I could explain this is to share a little bit about my life. So in 2004, my wife's going to yell at me later if I get these dates wrong. 2004, I took a beautiful young lady up to the uh, highest point on the Appalachian Trail in, uh, in Massachusetts. It was right near the camp that me and Marty met at. I got down on one knee over a picturesque overlook. We were the only two people anywhere that you could see at this Beautiful location, and I asked her to marry me. I asked her, hey, will you marry me? And what did she say? She said, well, I don't know, maybe. (laughs) No, she said yes. Um, I definitely had uh, been planning to do this for a couple of months, and I got to a point where I kind of caught her completely by surprise. Now, she expected that we would get engaged, but she didn't think it was going to happen that soon. She was thinking, I have another year of college left, Maybe we'll get ourselves. And I was thinking, I'm graduating now. I'm going to start a youth pastor position. I'm like, I need to be married. This is where I, I was in this one place. She was in this one place. So she didn't expect it. Didn't see it coming. But she said yes. And then we figured out all the rest of it, all the details of it. We were engaged for 10 months. And then on uh, June fourth, two thousand 2005, 2005, thank you, babe. I was right. I did say that she just... Okay, so I'm going to keep moving. Ah, we gathered all of our closest friends together, and we had a, a ceremony, right? We, she essentially said yes to me the first time. But we were the only two there. There was no one else. Now, this wasn't a good millennial engagement, I know. This, is a, this has really turned into a thing. Like, I didn't have photographers in the bushes. There was no horse and buggy ride. It wasn't on the uh, Stone Arch Bridge at, like, dusk. Um, you know, it was just the two of us. She said yes, right. Then ten months later, we had a ceremony where we gathered everyone together, and again, what did she do? She said yes, right. We said yes to each other in front of our friends. Now, that second ceremony was very symbolic, right? The ring is symbolic. The white is symbolic. Like uh, the if you got unity candles or sand, or I did one where they had uh, they, they tied knots together. I did a, a wedding where they tied knots together, and they had to learn nautical knots that had, had to preach about the meaning of the knot they chose. It was, listen, millennials get creative, okay? But the marriage ceremony was the symbol of what was really happening. In the engagement, it was just the two of us saying yes to each other. In the marriage, we were publicly together, yes yes, through symbols, but celebrating what had really happened? What was going to to be happening? So, if the engagement is the moment, uh, the beginning of something, the wedding is the celebration of something. The life that you live together is the pursuit of that lifelong, right? It's the pursuit of becoming. Who you need to be to be in that marriage of loving that person well, of learning how to be a husband or a wife, learning what it means to be in that relationship. And that is what we're talking about, that there's a moment where we cross over from death to life, that we say yes to God. Most of that time, it's a, it's a moment where we submit ourselves to Jesus and it's just us and Jesus. Right? There's a, there's, it's a private moment most of the time. Romans 10 says if you believe in your heart that Christ was raised from the dead for your sins and you speak that with your mouth and you are saved. Most of the time we become saved by praying to uh, God ourselves. By speaking that reality that's inward, that inward reality out loud and we become saved. But our baptism is much more like the marriage ceremony. But yes, it's symbolic. Right, There's tons of symbols in it. But something is really happening. That there's something there happening that sort of seals, sort of locks in, right? Brings everybody, your whole community around you. And when people say to me, hey, when was the moment she said yes to you? I don't say it was on Mount Greylock in August of 2004. I say it was on June 4th of 2005. The pictures that are hanging on the walls of my house are not of our engagement because I didn't have a photographer there. Like, know like, that's the thing now. We don't have pictures of the engagement on the wall. We have pictures of the marriage ceremony on the wall. Our friends, when they talk about us being married, they don't talk about our engagement with us. They, they remember the wedding they were at. And a baptism is much like that. If you haven't been baptized, you're missing the ceremony. Now, I know there's a lot of uh, people in our world today. In fact, I would say our culture in general doesn't value commitment very much. I've counseled people who have been together for you know, a decade, in their minds, married, but didn't want to have a ceremony. And I don't think any of us would look at that and say, that's a great situation to be in. Maybe our culture values things that way, but that's not God's values. That's not his way. I think a lot of us as Christians, we find ourselves in a situation where it's like, yes, I accepted Jesus, but I never submitted to baptism. I was never obedient to God when he called me to be baptized. I never celebrated it with a community. I never did the ceremony, the symbol that went along with my receiving Jesus, and now I, you know, it just feels like I'm a common law with God. Like I just sort of fell into this relationship with God, and I'm just going to keep doing it, and it's right, and it's fine. The the word calls us to something more, and says baptism is like a marriage ceremony. Yes, it's symbolic, but something is also happening. I want to go with you uh, to Matthew chapter 28, verse 19 and 20. We call this passage here the Great Commission. The great co-mission, that's not what it means, but I always like to call it that. Um, where Jesus, as he's uh, about to ascend into heaven, leaves his uh, disciples with one final call. If you were going to uh, distill down the mission of a Christian into one thing, here it is. This is it. Okay? This is Jesus' most succinct missional statement that you can find in scripture, the great commission. Right, And this is what he says, therefore, he's about to float into heaven right? Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you, and surely I am with you always. Even to the end of the age, he says, our goal is to disciple people. We're, as a church, trying to create disciples of Jesus. That word literally, uh, Translates the best way that we can sort of translate it to our English is apprentice. We're trying to apprentice with Jesus, we're trying to stay on Jesus' heels, we're trying to stay in step with Jesus all the time. That's really what we're trying to do. We're trying to create people who do that, who recreate people who do that. That's the goal of what a church is supposed to be about, what we're called to is to create disciples. How do we do that? First, we baptize them, second, we teach. So one, we call people to accept Jesus and become a disciple, and apprentice of Christ. Then we baptize the person. Then we call them to submit themselves to the teaching of Jesus. Now it has to be in this order because we don't submit ourselves very well to the teachings of Jesus unless we ourselves have been transformed by the Holy Spirit. Unless we have received Christ, we have sealed that in baptism with our community. We have celebrated it. And then to be... To be uh, obedient to Jesus becomes an opportunity for us as we are sanctified, as we become more like Christ in our everyday walk. And he says, we should not just baptize them, we baptize them into the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Galatians says, you, you, we just read through the Galatians, and it said we would baptize you into the community of believers. Here it says we should baptize you into the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Paul often says um, you know, that you should be in Christ and this phrase this wording really points to the idea that we are supposed to be united with Jesus okay we see this all throughout scripture that we should baptize you into a unity with with God now you go back to the marriage ceremony what is what is actually happening there two are becoming one as genesis says two people are coming together and they are becoming one flesh you know I'll, I'll just out us, Marty. Sorry, I hope this is okay that I say this. We, we were virgins when we got married. Like, it was symbolic. And then something actually happened that day. We were, okay, never mind. Um, we, we become united with Jesus. This is part of the process of becoming a disciple. This is part of the process of, you know, celebrating that in baptism. And it's part of the process of submitting yourself to the teachings of Jesus. Where he says, like, if, you, if you love me, obey my commands. Right? This is the order that it goes in. And Jesus gives us this perfect little picture. And he uses this word baptize, which is a word that in their language it, it literally translates to baptizo, which is, you know, maybe not, but it means to submerge, to dip under. It, it's a word that means like to go into the <laughs> grave, to go under the water, to be fully submerged into baptism. And the the, the picture that they would use this word for was actually. Uh, in dyeing cloth. Okay, so you take like a white garment. Back then it was a very expensive process to get anything that wasn't like a regular natural color. If you wanted to dye something, it was like one of the most expensive things that you could do in that day. If you wore colored clothing that was dyed, it was something that showed your status in that, uh, in that world, in that first century. So they would take a white garment or a light tan garment and they would submerge it into the water's And it would come out the other side being purple or red or green. Well, purple was the main color, the most expensive color. And so it went in one thing and came out another. That's what baptism looks like for us. We go into the baptism waters, one thing, and we come out the other. And this was important enough for Jesus to include in his final mission, his final transfer of power to the disciples. And as a church, we only believe that there are two ordinances that we have. One is communion. We get a chance as regularly as we can to celebrate communion, to remember what Christ has done for us. The second is, is baptism. Those two things are the things that Jesus left us with to celebrate the things that we need to make sure that we keep in the focus of what we're doing because what drives our church is transformation. When we celebrate baptism, we're celebrating transformation. We're celebrating someone who was dead and is now alive in, in Jesus. I want to go ahead to Matthew chapter 3 and I want to show you Jesus's baptism. So Matthew chapter 3 verse 13. Uh, this is Jesus just before he begins his like real his ministry time. So he's not really known yet. He doesn't know people don't exactly understand who he is yet and he hasn't begun to do the like main part of the gospels that we read and the the ministry focus and so this is what it says. Then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to be baptized by John. So John, this wild disciple, was in the Jordan River just baptizing people, and he was baptizing them uh, to, you know, to, um, he was baptizing with water, and he said Jesus would come and he would baptize us with the Spirit. He said this is one picture of what it looks like, and there will be another picture of what it looks like. But John was sort of preparing the way. He was telling people's hearts to be turned towards the Messiah and be ready to receive him when he showed himself. Jesus comes along and it says, but John tried to deter him. He said, I, I, I need you to be baptized by you. Do you come to me? Jesus replied, let it be so now. It is proper for us to do this, to fulfill all righteousness. Then John consented. So Jesus comes to those waters and says to John, I want you to baptize me. Now, this is why we know baptism does not forgive sins. Jesus didn't have sins to be forgiven. Right? We, we understand this is a symbolic thing. This is not for the forgiveness of sins. The, God could not love Jesus anymore. He could not receive Jesus anymore. He couldn't be in any more of a relationship with God than he already was. So baptism didn't do anything, didn't change the state of his, of his life with God. But So we ask the question, why did Jesus be baptized? And the answer really is out of obedience. He wanted to show us a picture of what baptism looks like and he did it out of obedience. He wanted to to show us this is what I want you to do to celebrate that inward reality that happens when you go from death to life and you receive Christ and you start a relationship with him. Here's what it looks like. And it doesn't forgive sins and it doesn't change your relationship with God, but it does something very special. Look at what it says. As soon as Jesus was baptized, he went out of the water. Again, he went all the way in and out of the water. Talk more about that in a minute. At that moment, heaven was opened. He saw the Spirit of God descending on him like a dove and alighting on him. I don't even know what alighting means, but I wanted to see that. And, I was just like, ah, you know, like. and a voice from heaven said, This is my Son with whom, whom I love, and with him I am well pleased. Now, I don't know if this is an important moment, but I don't see another place in Scripture where you have a physical manifestation of the Holy Spirit You have the bodily manifestation of Jesus in that moment. And you have God speaking audibly to people. Seems like a big deal. Seems like one of the places where we'd see all three pieces of God at work in one picture, all coming together in this beautiful moment of harmony and unity. We are fully united. Now this baptism didn't create uh, a relationship with God for Jesus that that made God be pleased with him and in love with him, it celebrated it. God comes out and says, this is my son with whom I am well pleased. I mean, th- this is something that God does through baptism for us. It's like, we, yes, we go into a relationship with Jesus and we start having this personal relationship with Christ. But when we are baptized, it's a moment for us to affirm who we are in Christ. We are a son or daughter who is loved by God, and that moment of baptism is affirming, is celebrating that relationship that has begun with with God. I want to skip ahead to Romans chapter 3. This is what Paul has to say about it. He says, what shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase by no means? He, he says, look, uh, should we sin a whole lot so we feel extra grace in our lives? That's rhetorical question. The answer is no, you should not do that. That's, that's, that's not smart, okay? He says, by no means. We are those who have died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? And I want you to look at the tense, right? Because you'll find, if you go look, there's a passage in Colossians, a passage in Galatians, a passion, passion passage in Romans that we're looking at right here, and a couple of other passages where Paul talks about Baptism, and he talks about it in the past tense in every single place. Go look it up. What does he say? We have died to sin. We are those who have died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? And when he says we are baptized, he says he means it like we were baptized. We were past tense baptized. For Paul, when he talks about baptism, he is assuming that every believer that he talks to about baptism has already experienced it. There's never a moment where Paul is talking to a believer who's talking about what will come through baptism, because those things went together in the New Testament. Now, we, we get this idea that we should wait for the perfect moment, or we should wait until this Christianity thing takes, or we should wait until we you know get out of sin in this one area or solve this one thing, and the Bible leaves no room for that at all, that the, the request of God, the the standard of what the church was living up to, is to believe and be baptized. So Paul never talks about it in the present tense or in the future tense, always in the past tense. He says, don't you know that all of us who were baptized, again, there's that past tense, into Christ, were baptized into his death? He says, we took on the same uh, situation as Jesus. We were baptized into his death. Death. We put to death our old selves. Look what he says. We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we will certainly also be united with him in a resurrection like his. And Paul connects this idea of resurrection to This picture of dying the same death as Jesus. Now, thank God we don't have to go to a cross and die the literal same death as Jesus. That in baptism, we put ourselves into the water and we celebrate the fact that we are going into a grave. You know what dies in that grave? All the things that are from your past that would hold you back. All the sin that you struggled with all of the you know the uncertainties that you've dealt with in your relationship with God all of the things that hold you back the things that you define yourself with that are in the past your old self is being put to death in the waters of baptism as we put those things to death then we come out of it resurrected a new life like he, he goes on he says he says this for we know that our old self was crucified with him so that the body ruled by sin might be done away with, and that we should no longer be slaves to sin. You know that old self that it's talking about there uh, is the word anthropos, and that word is one of the words we get for anthropology, which now is just a store where you buy like chachkeys that are way too expensive. Thanks. I worked on that joke. Thanks for laughing at it. Anthropos, it's putting to death your old th- ways. It's putting in the grave the things that you want to walk away from, the sin that you want to have freedom in, the places where you want to see change in your life. That's why Paul in Second Corinthians says, you are one with Christ. Everything I- I of him is now true. He says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, they are a new creation. The old has gone, the new is here. And when Paul talks about this, he doesn't, he doesn't say, let's talk about identity for a second. He doesn't say, you should do all of these things. That to, I want you to be obedient. And I don't want you to think of baptism as a chance to be obedient. I know a lot of people would say, you, you should be obedient to baptism. Because if you haven't been baptized, you're not following Jesus' ways and you need to be obedient. But we don't, we don't talk about life that way. Right? The the thing that Jesus does for us, and the thing that Paul talks about here, is like he we use language that uh, helps people make those changes without having it to you know having them feel like they're following a set of rules or having to live up to a certain set of standards. We talk about uh, people's identities as though they were, and when you go into the waters of baptism and you come out a new way, you are associated, unified, united with Jesus. All the things that are true about Jesus are now true about you, and so. When we come out of that, it's like we don't necessarily understand how to live that way yet, but we're called that thing. The day I got married, I, was, I went from that morning just being a, a schmo to that evening being a husband, okay? Did I know anything about being a husband? No, <laughs> nothing. Ask my wife. She'll tell you all about it. I knew nothing about being a husband. We did premarital. That was great. I knew nothing about being a husband. But was I a husband? Yeah, the thing is, when you come out of the waters, you are powerful because the Holy Spirit is in you. You are free from sin. Even though you may still sin, you are not a sinner anymore. You you are loved. You know, the, the Bible uses words like saints, holy ones, priests, The Bible calls you a son or a daughter of God. The Bible says that you're set apart. That you are sanctified ones. That you are blameless. That you've been adopted. That you are royalty. That you are loved. That you're free. What do we say? We say, uh, I'm just a sinner who is saved by grace. I I get where we're coming from when we say that. But (laughs) the Bible doesn't ever refer to somebody who's in Christ as someone who's a sinner. Just I want you to step back and listen to that phrase again. It never refers to someone who's in Christ as a sinner. When we talk about sinners in Scripture, we're talking about people who are out of step with God, who are enemies of God, who are sinning, who are selfish, who have not found their way into relationship with Jesus. But when you become in a relationship with Jesus, when you're unified with Christ, when you celebrate that through baptism, you come out new. And that new person, that new person, is a priest, is a saint, is in Christ, is a son or daughter, is set apart, is a sanctified one, is blameless, is adopted, is royal, is loved, is free. Stop calling yourself a sinner and say, I'm a new creation. Do you sin? Sure. But does that make you a sinner? No. And if you're a parent, you understand this. When your kid you know, uh, lies to you, do you say you're a liar? No, you say what you just did, it it is not consistent with who you are. You say, I expect more from you because you aren't a liar. And when you do that, it's out of, out of step with your character. And this is what is happening when we are saved and when we celebrate this through baptism, we're celebrating this idea that we have been made new and we can put away the old self. We can put away the sin the things that entangled us, the things that we thought about ourselves, the things that we called ourselves—all of those things go away, and now we step into who we are in Christ, and we are unified with Him, and we can celebrate that by understanding that our identity is now completely changed. And we might not still be living up to that thing. There is this process of sanctification, and it takes a while for us to begin to feel like a son or a daughter, or a freed person, or royal, or a priest, or you know. It might take some time, but we are that thing in Christ. Everything that Christ is now becomes what we are in that moment. The Bible says, you are holy, now go live that way. You are loved, now go live that way. You are a son, now walk in that. The same way that it took me time to become a husband, it takes us time, but it doesn't mean that we are the old thing, we are the new thing. You may spend the rest of your life living up to what is already true of you, but it is definitely true of you. So I want to kind of land on just a couple things to uh, remind you of, okay? Number one, baptism, why do we become baptized? Because Jesus commanded it. He did. He said, make disciples, baptize them, teach them. It's something he commanded us to do. It's something that we do. You want to talk about being obedient to Jesus? Fine, here's where it is. Jesus said, this is what you do as a believer in Jesus. He commands it. The second one, Jesus modeled it. Did he need to be baptized? No, he did not. Did he become baptized anyways to give us a model of what it looked like, to show us what it looked like to be believers in Jesus and to take the 1A step of receiving Christ and the 1B step of being Baptized that these two things can go together in the New Testament, and they're like uh, uh, um, a change of state in understanding I'm going from death to life, and then my first action as a new believer in the waters of baptism. That's what it looked like in the New Testament, and Jesus modeled it so we would pick that up. And the first church modeled it. Every time someone became a believer, the first church, they became a believer, and they were baptized. Every New Testament. Baptism is a baptism by immersion. And I want you to know that's the celebration that we do at this church. We do baptism by immersion. Now, I need to get a little awkward and talk about the other versions of baptism for a second and explain to you what we do and how we look at that. We do baptism by immersion because the word baptizo means to dip under. Jesus was fully immersed. Every New Testament uh, baptism was by immersion that we can find in Scripture. There was no time where it said sprinkled on, did a little bit. Becoming a believer in Jesus is an all-in proposition. It celebrates being dead in the grave and coming alive the best. That's why we do it the way that we do it. Are we putting together what Scripture has to say? We're following the model of what Jesus did. We're following the model of what the Church, first church did. This is why it's important for us to do it this way. And you might come from a uh, background or a different a stream of Christianity where things were different and done differently, that's okay. I'm not actually saying in many cases that what you did was invalid or wrong, but I'm inviting you into a believer's baptism. And I wanna get pretty specific for a second. And I wanna talk to you about if you were infant baptized and then were confirmed, as are many people, maybe most people in Minnesota find themselves in that situation. And we don't practice that form of baptism. But what I will say about that is there's something beautiful about it. There's nothing wrong with doing it. I'm not telling you you're wrong and I'm not telling you you're bad. I'm telling you there might be another step to be baptized fully as a believer. And when you're baptized as an infant, it's not a choice that you make. It's a choice someone else makes for you. And I understand the confirmation process can be a moment where you invite your friends together and you have a celebration and you stand up in front of everyone and you say, I am saved. But what I'm saying is there really isn't anywhere in Scripture where any of that is there. What there is in Scripture is a chance to be baptized, fully immersed in front of a community and celebrate together your story, what Jesus is doing in you. And I would invite you to do that. Even if you found yourself in the other stream, no problem. Nothing wrong with that. Awesome. Cool. Baptism, the way that we practice it, is by immersion for believers only. We don't baptize our children. We dedicate our children. That's what we do. As That's what our... Um, which, by the way, there's like a backlog of like a hundred kids that got born in the last year. <laughs> if you're ready for that, we could start emailing the office, and we may need to be scheduling these like one every week for like a couple of years. So, uh, we'll we dedicate our children because our children aren't old enough to uh, make a decision for themselves. Obviously, that there's a a thing that happens in. Uh, infant dedication or infant baptism in some streams where it's a beautiful picture of the family extending the covenant of God that they have with their infant. It's beautiful. I'm not going to say there's anything wrong with that. It's not our tradition, but I wouldn't wouldn't hate on it. I wouldn't say it's awful or terrible or wrong. I would just say it's one tradition and another. But there's a moment as a believer (laughs) where you have a will that you submit to God. And to celebrate that through baptism can be something you do on top of whatever your stream of celebration was in your church. And in Galatians, when it says that you can be baptized into a community of believers, oftentimes when someone is obedient to baptism as an adult, even though they were baptized as an infant, they're being obedient and being baptized into the community of believers, sharing their story, sharing their faith with people who didn't know, weren't part of that, didn't understand what was going on in their life before, And encouraging the rest of the believers through their choice to be baptized. That's where we are as a church. That's where we stand on this. My invite to you, if you're from that situation, is great. Celebrate what happened in your life. But now let's get you baptized by fully submersing you as a believer in Jesus, as an adult. And to share that story with the rest of the congregation. So why don't people choose baptism? Well, a lot of times people don't want the spotlight. They don't want to be put up in front of everyone. They don't want to share any part of their life. And I would say Christian community is going to continually put you in that sort of place. We really don't have an opportunity for you to be a complete introvert and to come in and to hide yourself and to stay out of community and not share yourself with other people. In fact, it is a Situation of obedience sometimes for people to say, I will put myself in the spotlight to make sure that I'm encouraging the rest of the the congregation by sharing my story. And ultimately, if we don't, if we're afraid or driven by fear, then let me do the heavy lifting for you. (laughs) I'll tell your story. I'll tell tell everybody all about you. I'll baptize you. You could just stand there and look scared. It's no problem. So we don't want the spotlight. Sometimes it is an issue of disobedience. Sometimes it is something that you should have done at some point in the past, and you didn't. Now you feel silly. Like for me to be baptized as a 50-year-old person would just be silly, and it wouldn't. (laughs) Sharing your story with people has value for the whole community, and it has value for you. But yeah, it's symbolic, so you're maybe thinking, maybe I don't need to do it, but something is actually happening there. Maybe it is the influence of being in another denomination where it wasn't their way of doing things. But if you're here, if you want to be a member of this church, if you want to be all in here, this is how we practice this. And so sometimes it is an issue of you saying, I'm going to be obedient to be baptized into this community and share my story with these people. And so it's something you do as an adult, even though you might have been baptized as a child and confirmed. That's okay. Sometimes we are waiting for someone else in our own family before we want to be baptized. We say, like, I'll get baptized with my husband or my wife or my kids, and we want to do it all together, and it's, this, it's not corporate. You can't do it together. It's an individual being baptized. Now, could I baptize two people from the same family at the same time? Yeah, often families change together. They might both be celebrating the same thing at the same time, but each person who steps into the waters of baptism is an individual. And lastly, you might be waiting for a significant moment, a certain lake on a certain mission trip. I had one student who said, I only want to be baptized in Bulgaria. I was like, I don't, why? But it was a pretty good story. Her parents were Bulgarian missionaries, and she wanted to do it there where she grew up in a certain lake at a certain time. So she was putting it off to that point. It's just not biblical. It's just not a biblical concept to say, I want to wait for something. Are you a believer? You should be baptized. That's what the scripture shows us. And so waiting for a significant moment or a person to, another person to come around or you know, letting an influence of another denomination hold you back from fully being part of the community or uh, being disobedient or not wanting to have the spotlight put on you are all reasons that people might choose not to be baptized. But the word calls us to do this as believers. It says, yeah, there was a moment where you made a decision to follow Jesus where it was just you, but then you were supposed to grab the community, bring them around you, share your story, and everyone celebrate together that there is a community element to this that I don't think a lot of people think about. Now, I don't know about you, but I could use some stuff to celebrate right now. (laughs) This last year has been garbage. Garbage. Yeah, we all dealt with COVID. We all stayed in our houses. We all lost connection with each other. We all went through crazy things at work and crazy things at school, and we all dealt with this, that, and the other thing. And on top of that, I'll tell you my own personal story. I was basically unhealthy the whole year, struggling with surgeries and being in and out of the hospital. And, man, would I love to celebrate with some people who have had transformation in their lives. So here we are. I'm asking you, if you haven't been baptized, to be baptized. There is no reason not to. There is no good excuse not to. Let's celebrate together. Let's have a ceremony. Now, we are looking at dates for baptism in the next couple of months, and so here's what I would love for you to do. If you have not been baptized, please reach out to me. Let me talk to you. Let me hear your story. Let me get you prepared, ready to go, and we will celebrate in the next couple of months the baptisms of people whose lives have been transformed by Jesus together as a community. It's necessary. It's important what Jesus modeled for us, what the church modeled for us, what God calls us to, to be baptized. How? By immersion for believers to encourage the church. When? Now. Same day. Honestly, if I had a baptism in front of me right now, I'd baptize somebody here. You know, I know I said don't, don't wait, and then I just told you it's going to be a couple weeks. <laughs> <clears throat> I did think that through, but it seems ridiculous now. So please, This is what it looks like in our church, and I wanted to explain this because I don't want people to get too far down the road with us, and then we start talking about membership, and then we start talking about being fully in on. I mean, those are some of the things we're working on in the background right now, and I want you to know: membership, leadership in this church, baptism is going to be one of those things that's not going to be negotiable. We are a Baptist church. At the end of the day, this is what we believe in. It comes out of Scripture. It was Jesus's model. It was the church's model. So this is what we would request and ask of every person who becomes a member and every person who is in a significant leadership role within this church. So that's why I want to talk about it now. I want to make sure it's out there, clear to everyone now. So would you guys just, would you, would you bow your heads with me? And let's pray together. And God, I pray that you would just, even now, encourage those who haven't been baptized to say yes again to you. That yeah, they said yes to you the first time, but now to say yes to you in that symbolic ceremony of baptism. Thank you that you gave us this to celebrate. I'm overwhelmed every time I get to celebrate communion. God, would you give us more and more baptisms as we celebrate transformation in this church? I pray that people would find you for the first time, they would celebrate it through baptism, that they would continue to pursue you for their lifetime as they become disciples, apprentices of you. Help us to be obedient to your word. Help us to celebrate these things together. In Jesus' name, amen.